0: Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe.
4: Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
1: What's Shereening my Lonnie Eunice?s Would it be Would the plural be? Before. I'm just letting would, you know. Would have I have I? am trying to figure out what the plural would be. Would it be Shireen's Lonnie Eunice, like attorneys general?
5: I think the last name is Eunice. Unai. Yeah, yeah. Shireen's um, Lana
1: Unai. Okay.
5: Shireenuses. Shireenuses. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, I accept it. Beautiful. I was literally going to call you Shireenuses from now on. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I love it so much. Grant Taylor in middle school coined the nickname Shereeny Weenie. I've embraced. What was
1: What was his name Shereen?
5: Grant Taylor.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say Brent Taylor, who's the chuttiest cop in Portland. Oh. Um who got removed from the riot team for shooting too many people with grenades for no reason.
5: Oh Jesus. I'm going to say Shereen That would have been amazing. Was, that's not a creative like insult <laughs> nickname. That no. person right 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 is beneath you.
1: Yeah, that person's trash. Unless you know who is also kind. Well, I don't know. We'll decide if he's trash. You're probably (laughs) going to like this guy, too. Um, We're going to talk about a very special con artist today, uh, a fellow named Natwarlal, who was India's greatest con man. Now, Hmm. I want to start this by saying I can't tell you how accurate most of this is there are very few english language sources on his life and i couldn't even find a lot of online like hindi sources that i could translate there's very little about this guy that is credible there's a couple of like india today a couple like broadly credible websites that have stories about him on there but like fuck it is hard to find shit about this dude that is not like some weird little listicle or basically there was a bollywood movie made about his life that is completely inaccurate Hard to tell what is true about this guy, but it's a fun story. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, I did the best job I could and we're going to it. Talk seems about like
5: a, a through theme with some con artists, right? Like, right. it's, you don't know what's true.
1: If you are someone who spends in this ca- guy's case, like literally like 60 straight years lying to people and conning people, it's going to be hard to tell out what was true about yeah. your life. You're going to have very little in the way of hard details. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we have about this dude is fascinating and it's going to be a fun, short little story. So Mithilesh Kumar Srivastava Srivastava was born in the village of Bangra in a place called Bihar, India, at some point in between 1912 and 1925, which is a pretty wide margin to not know exactly when this guy was born. Um, It is one of those things. He grows up in a small village in India in the uh, like more than a century ago and like to this day. So there's this thing. This big celebration they do every 12 years called the Kumbh Mela. I mean, they do it every four years, but every 12 years, it's in Allahabad. And every time it's in Allahabad, it's like the largest gathering of human beings for any purpose in human history. Like 120 million people came at the last Mela in Allahabad, which I was at. Um, When I was there, it was about 30 or 40 million people at a time in a tent city. Like it's it's incredibly it's just this unbelievably massive thing.
5: Sorry, am I dumb? What is it? What is what is it for?
1: It's it's a, it's a religious celebration. Okay. It's a it's a it's a Hindu religious celebration. Okay. And it's so many people go that every year about thirty thousand or so people disappear. And when I wow. say disappear, I mean these are people who live in villages so isolated and so small that they don't have government documents. Like they, they their only identity is as a part of this village, and they get separated from their people, and they're just like people without like a legal, like that still happens in India. That's why this guy, part of why this guy's like this, like we don't have like government documents about this dude's early life, right? Like he's born in 1912 and some, or, or 1925 sometime in between there in some little village, we have very little about his actual early life about Mm -hmm. his like government identity or whatever, which is part of what enables him to do the conning he does, right? Things are very chaotic in India during the period where he's growing up. This is like, he kind of comes into his early adulthood during the period where, like, the British government um, gives up controlling India. So, like, th- this guy, part of why he's able to get away with so much is he, he lives during a very chaotic time in India. Um, and as a result, we know very little about his early childhood. One version of his story states that the inciting incident that kind of led to his break from mainstream society occurred in 1932, when he was a ninth grader at Patna High School. Srivastava was not a good student, particularly when it came to mathematics. His teachers noted to his parents that he was extremely intelligent, which led Srivastava's father to the conclusion that his son was simply refusing to work hard. Lectures from his dad turned into yelling and eventually to physical abuse. The first time Srivastava's father hit him was also the last. Srivastava fled home the very next day, eventually resurfacing in the nearby city of Calcutta. This one version of his story, and it is the version that paints the most sympathetic picture of young Srivastava. Another version of the story states that, as a preteen, he realized he had the ability to almost perfectly forge the signature of any person he chose. One day, a family friend asked him to deposit some money in a nearby bank. Shri copied their signature and later used it to withdraw a thousand rupees from their account. According to this version of events, Shri's crime was found out, and he was exiled from his village and forced to flee his home at any rate by the time he was in his late teens he was a and unsupported in calcutta so we don't know exactly how he gets there there's kind of two versions of the story one is his dad beats him and he flees that's obviously the more sympathetic one is he steals from a family friend and he gets kicked out of the village hmm. don't really know which one is true
5: i mean either one i i feel like i i don't hate like it's not like yeah one is more like he's a victim but the other one he's desperate and also a victim yeah. you know like who cares
1: yeah i mean it it's they' are both good con artist origin stories right for sure yeah so uh at that time, Calcutta was the capital of the British Raj, and it was a city defined by its almost unbelievable gap between the colonial rich, their fortunate chosen Indian allies and employees and a seething mass of starving urban poor. It's not for nothing this is where Mother Teresa has her like her setup she's a problematic mm-hmm. figure, but she's there because there's so much poverty in Calcutta. Mm-hmm. Few cities in history have been harder places for a young pubescent boy with no money to survive. And yet somehow Srivastava managed. He enrolled in a Bachelor in Commerce graduate course at Calcutta University, presumably after lying about his age. We don't know how he supported himself. He had no relatives in the city. But somehow he got by long enough to meet and befriend a businessman, Seth Keshav Ram, who became his first mark. Seth was in the market for a private tutor for his children. Srivastava knew he could do the job, he just needed to convince Seth of that, so he produced a series of testimonials from satisfied parents by forging signatures and different handwriting styles to make them look like genuine notes from actual people who actually existed. Seth was duly impressed by how highly recommended this young man was, and he hired Srivastava to teach his son and daughter for 30 rupees per month. Srivastava did this job for several months, teaching this rich man's children God only knows what because he did not have much of an education himself. After he'd been on the job a while, Shri asked Seth for a loan so he could purchase some books. Seth said no. Depending on who you believe, this was the inciting incident that really turned Shri against all rich people. He quit his job in disgust, and he set to work getting revenge. First, he forged another set of fake credentials and used them to get a job as the headmaster of a school that Seth's kids attended. Seth was impressed when Shrivastava got hired. He apologized to his former employee and hired him back as a private tutor for much more money. Shri took the job, but he had not yet gotten his revenge. At the time in Calcutta, there was a serious shortage of high-quality cloth. Shri told Seth that he had a relative who'd just come from Bombay with 200 bales of cloth that he wanted to sell on the black market. For the low, low price of 4.5 lakh of rupees, or $450,000, the cloth could be Seth's. A lakh is like an Indian unit of measurement that means about mm-hmm. like a hundred thousand or so how do
5: you spell so, it is it just law
1: l-a-k-h
5: l-a-k-h okay yeah
1: so there's this cloth shortage and shri is like hey i got my guy coming in he's got a bunch of this cloth he's going to sell it to you for four hundred fifty thousand rupees which is cheap and you can sell the cloth back for much more money mm-hmm. being a businessman seth couldn't pass up the opportunity to make some black market bucks and now that Srivastava had proven himself legitimate, Seth was willing to trust the man with hundreds of thousands of rupees, where he'd once been unwilling to trust him with hundreds. So he agreed mm-hmm. to the deal. Once he did, Srivastava informed him that the situation had changed. His relative had returned to Bombay. But if Seth if Seth would send the cash to that city, he, Srivastava, would personally guarantee the delivery of the bales to Calcutta. Seth was willing to do this, but, he insisted, Shrivastava would have to go to Bombay with the money and one of Seth's agents in order to make sure the deal went through properly. Sri agreed, and he traveled to Bombay with Seth's man. And I'm going to quote from a write-up in India today here. On the journey, Srivastava had cleverly, though casually, regaled the agent with stories of Bombay's tough police force and the ruthless elements in the underworld who had no compunctions about dispatching any outsider who dared to poach on their preserves. Understandably nervous, the agent begged Srivastava to leave him behind and take the money himself to purchase the cloth. Srivastava agreed and departed with the 450,000 rupees. He never returned. Instead, he arrived in Patna a few days later and proudly handed his father a 100,000 rupees as a gift. He told his father that he had become a major shareholder in a big company in Calcutta. Srivastava returned to Calcutta the same week, but Seth had heard of his arrival and sent hired thugs to retrieve the money. Srivastava spun them a sob story about being chased by the police and having to abandon the money, but Seth was unconvinced. He gave Srivastava four days in which to find the money, failing which he threatened to have him murdered. The moment Seth left, Srivastava rushed to the police station where he lodged a complaint against Seth, alleging Seth had threatened his life, refusing to become his agent for black market deals. Srivastava also gave the police a detailed count of Seth's clandestine criminal deals. So, steals half a million rupees from this guy and then turns him into the police when he threatens to murder him. Um, So, yeah.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's uh, That's what you do, bro.
1: Yeah what he did
5: it's also like who are, the, who, are you, who are you gonna trust right like the this foreigner you know
1: yeah i mean they're both I, I think it's one of those things this doesn't wind up working out for him so snitching worked at first because seth and his goons get immediately arrested by the police and taken into custody uh and since seth was not a really nice guy his men have no loyalty to him so they immediately confess to planning a murder so now Seth is fucked no matter what, because he's just mm-hmm. been caught attempting to murder somebody. Uh, and he decides to at least take Shri down with him. And he tells the police that Shri had been trying to set up a, an illegal black market cloth deal. So the cops arrest Shri too. And in December oh, no. 11, 1937, he goes to jail for the first time. Um, yeah, you know, that's 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 well, how this round, starts, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You go to the cops. That's what happens. Right. So he gets sentenced to a six month imprisonment, uh, young and at that point, not as savvy as he would later be. Sri served out his whole sentence. He was released and immediately committed more fraud. We don't know the precise nature of this crime, but given the story as it's gone so far, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to guess what kind of shit he got up to. He gets caught a second time almost immediately in is sentenced to eight more months of hard labor. He serves his time again, and he decides after two sentences behind bars, it's time for him to move his base of operations away from Calcutta. They know him too well there. So he moves to Madras, and he changes his name to Natwarlal, a name under which he would become one of the most famous people in modern Indian history. Now, the Madras police record just one crime by Natwarlal in their files, another suspected fraud. The fact that they only caught him once suggests that he'd gotten savvier after his second arrest, because if we know one thing about Natwarlal at this point in the story, it's that he cannot stop himself from conning people. Mm -hmm. By 1939, he had returned to northern India, and for several years, he roams from city to city, conning businessmen out of their also ill-gotten gains. None of his subsequent grifts were as ambitious as his theft from Seth. He steals $20,000 rupee from uh, a con in Farkarabad, $40,000 from a con in Azamgarh. The cases are individually smaller, but there's a ton of them. He's just constantly scamming tens of thousands of rupees out of people, and it's more than the law can keep up with. what What
5: kind of people is he scamming?
1: businessmen. It's it's always like, hey, I've got some sort of a deal. I've got this black market deal. Mm. You give me the cash. I'll get this thing. I'll get this thing. And then he skips town. You know, that's -hmm. the way this guy works. Um, And again, it's the same kind of thing as Victor Lustig, where a lot of it's like, I don't want you to go to the cops, so I'll make sure you're agreeing to break the law first. Exactly. Yeah.
5: He he wants to compromise them so they don't. Yeah. They can't ever turn him in.
1: Mm -hmm. So Sardar, he he, he's he's very fast. He's constantly skipping cities. He's in like dozens of cities at this point, scamming people. Mm-hmm. So the cops are always a few steps behind him. But he leaves enough of a pattern that at least one detective becomes obsessed with him. This guy, Sardar Hari Singh, who's the inspector of police in a city called Lucknow, like just becomes very dedicated to capturing this guy. He's probably the first person to report on the budding con man's MO in a concerted way. And I'm going to quote from India today again. His initial operations involved the swindling of goods from jewelry stores in large department stores in the cities he visited. He would first open a bank account in a large bank. He would then win the confidence of the shopkeepers by paying for his purchases by checks, which were promptly cashed. Once he had earned their trust, Netwarlaw would withdraw his bank account and on the same day buy large amounts of jewelry and expensive items from the stores, which he could sell later. He was careful, though, to limit his purchases to a few thousand rupees so as to combat any suspicion that might arise. He would then disappear from the city and another page would be added to the Natwar law legend. Hmm. Hmm. So pretty not not super ambitious cons here, but very smart. You know, he's, he's yeah, he, and it's the same thing. You establish a baseline of trust. You get them to think that your money is good and then you steal. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, that's how it works. So he, ke- he keeps this up for half a decade. Uh, and in 19 until in 1944, he is arrested uh, for more fraud, uh, this time in a city called Gorakhpur. Now, we don't know how he gets out, but this arrest marks the first time that he busts himself out of prison, and it's not going to be his last. He's rearrested in Ahmedabad in 1945 and released on bail this time, and then he's rearrested in Varanasi a few weeks later in connection to a series of forged receipts issued at a railway station. This con represented an evolution for Nat Warlal. See, the idea was that he would book railway wagons posing as a businessman who needed to transport sugar or some other commodity. He would actually pay the train company the absolute minimum he could for the smallest amount of space he could book in their freight section. Then he would doctor the receipt that he'd given them and make it look like he had rented much more space on the train so that he would be able to claim that he had a lot more sugar or whatever than he actually had. Mm -hmm. Then he would travel ahead to the destination city of the train and he would sell the cargo to speculators there. So he actually books a tiny amount of space on the train. He makes it look like he's booked a lot. He's like, I've got all this sugar coming in. You want to buy it? You give me the money. Here's the slit. The train's going to arrive in another day. He would show them the fake receipts as proof that he had the goods. And when they paid him, he would take the money and run. And when the buyers arrived at the train station to pick up their commodities, they'd find only a few bags of sand and bricks. Wow. So he's, he's he's gotten a lot more ambitious here. He's diversified, yeah. as all con men need to do. Um, and Nat Warlal had a few different schemes at once. Ru- he, he had to run a bunch of different sc- scams in any given time to stay solvent, because all of these cons require that he have upfront money in order to make more money later. One of his scams was to open multiple bank accounts in a city under the name of a fake company. He would lease office space, purchase expensive-looking furniture, and hire attractive secretaries to staff it. He would then befriend several bank managers in the city and wine and dine them, making sure to show off both his offices and his sexy employees. Once they trusted him and believed his business was genuine, he would request to be able to make a large overdraft. So like basically like, hey, I don't have the money now. I need you guys to give me a loan. And it, it'll like you, you've seen how successful my business is. I'll have the cash for you soon. Uh, and the bankers would always say yes. They would allow him to withdraw huge sums of money on credit Why? And once he had the. Because he's he's done business with them before. He sets up accounts. He puts money in their banks. It makes it look like it's a real business. He wines yeah. and dines them. You get their he gives, trust. He, he, he gives them, them a little. You.
5: Just with the, like the same with yeah. the receipts. Like you give them it's, a little and then you take a lot. Yeah. He has the basic amount of credibility to get away with. Yeah. The okay.
1: And it, it's the same with the way Trump works, right? Trump is, is like, owes like $700 million or something, right? right? Because rich guys trust other rich guys. And that's the way being rich works. You don't put your own money up for risk. You right. get the bank's money and like, yeah. So, but he just takes the money and runs and he abandons the city, his employees and whatever office he'd rented in the process. He was caught for one of these schemes in 1953. Uh, The Punjab National Bank is the bank that he conned in that instance. He was arrested, but he escaped custody. He was later locked up in Delhi for the same crime, but disappeared mysteriously again. Details are thin on a lot of his escapes, but it's generally accepted that he would just bribe the shit out of all of his guards. He continued in this vein for more than a decade, carrying out countless cons count, countless in more cities uh, than most people ever visit in their lifetimes. He was arrested again in March of 1956 in the city of Murut. And once the cops who caught him realized who they had, they started reaching out to other police agencies across India. After a few days of phone calls, they realized the man in their charge was wanted by no fewer than 35 police departments in different cities for different schemes. So... This is his first big bust, and he serves 10 months in prison in Meerut before being transferred to Lucknow to begin serving time for his crimes in that city.
5: Wait, so, so 10 months, and then what was the rest of the sentence?
1: Uh, I think he's got like another year or something oh, okay. uh, that he's got to do. But he doesn't do that year, so he gets transferred to Lucknow. Um, and one of the cops, Sardar Singh, the detective who's obsessed with him, works in Lucknow. And he gets to know this guy he's been following during the time when Natwarlal is in jail there. And Sardar claims that Natwarlal immediately established himself as a kingpin in the jail. He kept access somehow to a huge amount of grifted cash, and he was able to hire a special cook who made him all of his meals. So he has his own private <laughs> chef in prison. Yeah.
5: Okay, I respect that. Yeah, that's a flex.
1: That's a solid flex. Yeah.
5: Robert, you know what else is a solid mm-hmm.
1: flex? Uh, that was beautiful. That the R9X knife missile. So uh, he just winked at me and
5: my heart melted. I didn't that get is,
1: you, yeah. <laughs> Well, check out these products and services that probably won't go to jail in India. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play.
0: I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's
4: just a shame, you know, that they took him from us
0: thought they were going to kill me. So I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver.
1: Ah, we're back. So Nat Warlow's in jail. He's a kingpin there. Uh, He's got a special cook. He convinces his guards to give him the right to move freely anywhere in the jail he wants to go. Bottles of liquor were noted to appear appear mysteriously at his dining table in the private cell that the guards had issued him. Uh, And his guards refer to him by his first name because he is paying all of them very well. But how does he
5: still have access to all this grifted money?
1: I mean, I, I, he's, you know, he's got a fuckload of half of his schemes involve creating a ton of bank accounts. He has actual mm-hmm. bank accounts for his money. He's you know? probably
3: got people that are, yeah. that are on the outside.
1: He's a good scammer. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Taking advantage of his privileged position in the jail, Nat Warlal hatched a scheme to escape. In February of 1957, he managed to steal an inspector's uniform and literally walk out the front door of the jail. Guards saluted him on the way out. He disappeared. <laughs> Escaping the city and somehow traveling to Allahabad, where he checked into a hotel and then opened an account in a local bank with a thousand rupees he'd gotten from some forgotten con. Once he had a bank account, Natwarlal forged a demand draft letter and used it to withdraw 20,000 rupees he'd never actually had. By the early 1970s, the list of criminal cases tied to Natwarlal had, li- had risen to nearly 200. He was caught again in the city of Kakanada and jailed in 1975. Natwarlal offered the guard keeping him locked in a ten thousand rupees to help him escape. The guard agreed, but when he opened the bundle of cash he'd been given after letting Natwarlal escape, he realized that only the bills on the outside of the packet were real, and the rest were blank paper. Well, yeah, he's he's he's, he's a slick guy. Yeah. In, in 1980, Natwarlal was arrested yet again in Bombay. He was jailed and immediately started complaining that he was ill. He was taken to the hospital where he was treated for a kidney disorder and a urethral problem. After two weeks in the hospital, he left at midnight with a single police constable. Somewhere along the way, he escaped again, probably via bribery. Now, there are rumors that Netwarlal was something of a Robin Hood figure in his native village of Bihar. There are stories of him bestowing fortunes on poor people, and over the years, a mystique formed around him, helped by the fact that he seemed to only con the wealthy and powerful. Netwarlal is said to have once hosted a feast for everyone in his hometown of Bangra, funded it by his pillages, and then handed 10,000 rupees to each poor villager and disappeared into the night before the cops could catch him. It's impossible to say if this is true. Again, there's a lot of similar stories about like my cousin, Pretty Boy Floyd, that he would, while he was on the run, wind up at some poor old lady's farmhouse and she would feed him and put him up for the night. And In the morning, she would wake up, he'd be gone and there'd be like a hundred dollar bill under his plate or something. And well, that's probably accept, true. But you
5: just said Pretty Boy Floyd and that was that was his, That was his name, yeah. Okay.
1: Cool. He's one of the great bank robbers <laughs> of the gangster era,
5: and also um, related to Robert. Yeah, uh, yeah, but you said it's a uh, just like my my cousin, Pretty Boy
1: Floyd. My grandma, great grandma, that he was a cousin to. His last name was Barnes, but um,
5: what do you think your name is? Huh? What, what do you think Pretty Boy Floyd calls you?
1: I have one good story about him, which is that when I was in AP English in I think eleventh grade, we were doing The Great Gatsby, and so we had like a a unit on like the thirties, the gangster era, twenties thirties. Right. Yeah, and same. I mentioned that she like asked if anyone like knew any famous uh, gangsters other than like Al Capone. And I mentioned Pretty Boy Floyd. She's like, oh, how do you know about him? I was like, well, he's my cousin. And she's like, really? He shot my grandpa in the leg during a banker robbery. Holy shit. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, I, I, I'm so sorry. And She's like, oh, no, don't be. He's told him not to move. And my grandpa moved. So he shot him in the leg. <laughs> she was like, he deserved it. <laughs> Holy God. Yeah, I mean, it was a bank robbery, you know? It was an <gasps> wow. insured bank.
5: Well, Machete Man Robert, you can mm-hmm. continue now.
1: Okay. So, um, yeah. Again, there's a lot of stories about con men and gangsters and stuff, about how how generous they would be. A lot of these Robin Hood stories, and a lot of them are true in that they did bribe poor people. Because number one, it's cheap to bribe poor people. And number Mm -hmm. two, it's smart because poor people can hide your ass. You know, if you're going to be going to ground a lot, if you're going to have the cops always looking after you, you want little people with farms and like slums and stuff to want to hide your ass, you know? Mm -hmm. So, again, I'm sure Nat Warlal did have some Robin Hood shit. I'm sure it was also mainly so that he didn't get caught, you know? Like, yeah, it was like self-serving. Kind of. It was it's, it's generally pretty self-serving. Symbiotic
5: yeah. relationship. Like they they liked him because he would seem to be against the man. Yeah, and,
1: and he liked them, he them because them it, it's really easy to bribe poor people. Yeah, like a hundred rupees is not a ton of money. Um, mm-hmm. so whatever the truth of why he was giving them cash, a lot of poor people in India believed him a hero. A statue was even erected in Bangra to honor him. I'm going to quote from an article in the Times of India Crest edition here. Chandra Yadav, a native of Bangra and currently working in the Ministry of Commerce in New Delhi, is happy to learn of the development of the statue that they're building. He was a real hero, he says. He duped hundreds of people for scores of rupees, but he helped the poor and spent the entire money on them. It's a sentiment that finds an amazing echo. It's a matter of privilege for us that he was one of us, said Sudhasanu Kumar, who grew up on Natwarlal's stories. The legend, if anything, has only grown. Panmari Devi says that he has even helped people who have dropped Natwarlal's name without really knowing him. Recalling an often told incident, she says, Once I was traveling in a train from Allahabad, and the uh, train police was all after my life because I was traveling in an express train while I had a passenger train ticket. He rejected my pleas and was adamant that he would have to fine or detain me. Then I told him, Don't you know I belong to Natwarlal's village? Suddenly his demeanor changed, and he said, Oh, you hail from Natwarl's village? Then you can travel without a ticket. No problem. Wow. So who knows if that's true. like that's that's the like this guy is is huge in at least certain yeah. parts of India. Like he is. He becomes a folk by by the 70s. He's a folk hero. Yeah. Um, like, and
5: he has like a reputation. People respect him.
1: People respect him. They like him. Cops don't like him. And cops are not happy when he gets a statue. Right. But people who aren't cops like him. Um, yeah. People who aren't cops are rich like him a lot. Mm-hmm. By 1979, he was famous enough to have a major Bollywood production made about his life, a movie called Mister Natwarlal. And the movie bears only the vaguest resemblance to his actual life. It was basically in a complete work of fantasy, but it was a huge hit, and it cemented the con man's image in popular culture. And he is still conning in 1979, which is a great position to be in as a con man. Um, that like you're you're he's like a full bonafide folk hero by this point in time.
5: That's so funny that the movie was made and he was still doing it. Like it's like exposing
1: it and then he's still going. Yeah, still going. (laughs) After breaking out of Kakanata Jail in 1980, Natwarlal traveled to a different Indian city whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Like I know my limits on this stuff. He adopted a new fake name, Lakshmi Narayan, uh, and started pretending to be a businessman from Bombay. He found a new mark, a sugar dealer, and gradually befriended him. Once they established some trust, Natwarlal put in an order for 82,000 rupees worth of sugar. He asked it to be delivered to his address in Bombay and paid a 4,000 rupee deposit for the sugar. He promised to pay the rest upon delivery. It should be obvious at this point that he had no intention of paying his friend back. Instead, he traveled to Bombay and met a guy named Mohan Gurnani, president of the local sugar merchants association. He somehow managed to convince Mohan that he was a close friend of Mohan's recently deceased uncle. Now that they were buds, net told Mohan, hey, I got all this sugar for sale. You want it? Mohan said yes. So net sold him the sugar and took a 60,000 rupee advance. When the rest of the sugar arrived, he waived the remainder of the fee that he'd agreed upon, telling Mohan that they were going to do more business together and he could just adjust the extra into that. Then he fled town and continued his conning career for four more years. Now, if you look up Nat Warlal online, you'll find that he is most famously referred to as the man who sold the Taj Mahal, which is why I'm putting him with listing in this because they both sold a bunch of uh, a bunch of like he didn't just sell the Taj Mahal he sold the Red Fort which is this massive beautiful uh, building in Jaipur mm. and he sold the Indian House of Parliament um, wow like he's he, he's very famous for this and we'll,
5: we'll, that is I want the Parliament was pretty interesting to me but yeah they, yeah. they, both, they both sold these like world wonders
1: yeah it turns out to be a great con and we will talk about how they did it but first you know what else is a great con Shireen Raytheon I was just going to say capitalism in general okay fucking incredible con and ad breaks
6: Culture, and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox, You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe,
5: Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty.
2: Old rock icon, Liz Fair.
1: That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a... The story of how Nat Warlal sold the Taj Mahal. So unfortunately, for as wild as a story as this is, there's not a whole lot of hard details. It seems to have been. This is a con he pulled off a bunch. He sold. We don't know how many times he sold the Taj Mahal. He did it regularly. Wow. This was like a thing that he would do. So he would he would dress up as a government official and he would find wealthy foreign tourists on vacation going to like see the Taj Mahal and he would have like meals with them and launch into conversations with them. And then he would he would kind of do the Eiffel Tower thing like, yeah, it's pretty, but it's a bitch to upkeep. It's very expensive. Keeping this Taj Mahal thing going or like keeping the Red Fort, you take so much money. We're kind of looking to offload it. You think it's pretty, right? You look like you got some money. Do you want to? I mean. You know, we, we could sell this to you if you're willing to like put down a down payment right now. Like, this could be yours. You could make all of this tourism money, a little bit of upkeep, and it'll be profitable again. Um, wow. And, it, and, and this works? works a bunch. Yeah, this works a bunch. Um, and he also, at some point, sells the Indian House of Parliament. And most versions of the story say he sells it complete with parliamentarians. I honestly have no idea what that can mean. Um, maybe that, like, yeah, it's one of those things. There's so many stories about this guy. He definitely con some rich people into buying the Taj Mahal and the Red Fort and some other. I don't know about the the parliament thing. There's just not enough details about it, or at least not that I can find in English.
5: I mean, you've um, got to respect conning dumb rich people. It's, like, it's it's beautiful. Dumb. Yeah, it's dumb.
1: That's how you get a Bollywood movie made about it. Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. So depending on where you read about Nat Warlal, you'll either hear that he had 10 successful jailbreaks or at the far end of things, 60. In 1984, he was caught again, this time because he literally bumped into the director of police for the city of Indore at a a train station. He was arrested and charged for three pending cases in that city and sentenced to 26 years in prison. So he was supposed to be like this. The story of this escape is he was supposed to be transferred from Lucknow to the old Delhi rail station. And there was a big crowd at the station because he's famous. and They all want to see this famous con man get led away to prison. So he's also kind of a sicker old man at this point. And he asks the soldier guarding him to get a medicine pill from like, t- to go get like, like, I don't have any money. I need you to go to the pharmacy nearby and pick up some medicine because I'm like, I'm sick right now. Uh, and I'll, I'll pay you guys back later. Um, and the soldier goes to get the medicine and a couple of cops stand there to guard him while the soldier's gone. Um, and then Nat Warlal asks one of the cops to go get water for him. Um, and then while like, so eventually he basically sends each of these guys away one after the other. And then just like, fucking runs off uh goes into the crowd and escapes and all three of the policemen it's probably he just bribes them again Mm -hmm. like none of the versions of this escape make much sense i think he's paying these guys off they all get fired
5: always the money money talks again
1: money talks and And i think that yeah and the con man walks and he walks again he was finally caught for the last time in the mid-1990s and he was well into his 80s at this point he goes to trial and he's brought before a judge who clearly is somewhat starstruck asks him how he su- convinced so many successful people to part with their money. Now, Warlal replies, your honor, I charge a fee to teach people. Give me a hundred rupees and I will be glad, happy to tell you the secret of how I
5: people. Wow.
1: <laughs> so the judge, wow. the judge hands him the money and that no. smiles and tells him that's how you do it. <laughs> oh
5: my God.
1: So he's just a beloved shameless. con man. Yeah. Yeah, everybody likes him, you
5: know? Yeah. Well, I don't I'm, know if I'm the, like baffled that after the movie came out, he was still able to con people.
1: Yeah, because the movie didn't tell any of the, his real cons. Like
5: Oh. But but, but did it people? And he's know good what at he disguising. Like no? Yeah,
1: he 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 had something like sixty different aliases. He's he's disguising himself and stuff. You'll right. okay, usually fair. find out later. Ah, I got I got by Nat Warlaw,
5: you know? Right. Wow. And I don't I, mean, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, I can't confirm that the story with the judge is true. I found it on a blog, but it's clearly it's a story that I found on a couple of sketchy blogs. So it's mm. a story people tell about him, you know, like, he's I don't know. He's a legend at this point. He's a he's a folk hero in India. Yeah. You know, He's definitely a real guy. Definitely to people. Hard to say exactly what he did.
5: He's like the Aesop. Of- he's
1: like the, the Aesop yeah. of, of, of Indian con. Yeah, <laughs> he escaped for the last time in 1996 when he was being taken to the hospital. Again, he was wheelchair-bound at this point, and he wound up again at the Delhi train station, so he shouldn't have been able to escape, but he did! And I found a contemporary India Today article that explained, in as much detail as I've been able to find, how. Nat Warlaw, 84, who had been brought up from Kanpur Jail to the capital's All-India Institute of Medical Sciences for a checkup, seized his chance when only the jail sweeper was left to guard him after the policeman went to deposit his wheelchair. He asked for tea, and when the sweeper went to get a cup, he simply vanished. (laughs) We don't know when Nat Warlal died. His brother claims 1996. His lawyer claims 2009. He was 84 during his last prison escape. So he's certainly he dead by
5: 84 now. He was 84?
1: He was 84. And he doesn't get wow. caught again. So he dies a free man, you know?
5: I respect that so much.
1: You gotta respect the guy. I mean, as little as we know about him. yeah, old man. Yeah, and he and fucking he still does got it. it. He still got it.
5: I respect that.
1: What a hero. You gotta respect Nat Warlal. At least... Uh, based on he died a free man in the end died a free man probably honestly
5: the fact that we don't know for sure just yeah. enhances the legendariness absolutely
1: of all. yeah that you get two different people who should know the truth telling different stories yeah. Great.
5: wow ah
1: well Shereen, that's the end of our quick little tale about nat war how are you feeling
5: thank you so much for yeah was honestly a fun one. the last i gotta tell you i said this last time uh, last time as far as like the the previous episode that we just did but I'm it's it's very these ones were fun you know mm-hmm. every time we do the show I'm low-key terrified because I don't want to sound dumb but also last time but no two times ago it was it was a very intense time but this was mm-hmm. so fun I almost want to come back again
1: well <laughs> next time it's gonna be like genocide or child molestation or child molesting genociders um I I will promise you that. All uh, right, friends and enemies.
5: Shri and where can people uh, follow you on the interwebs? Right. Um, well you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter if you'd like. My Instagram is Shiro Hero, S H E E R O H E R O and then uh Twitter is Shiro Hero Six Six Six. That person uh, hasn't given up Shiro Hero yet on no, Twitter. But also I kind of I'm leaning into the six six six, I like it. So Yeah.
1: Yeah it's it's, it's, it's on brand. Good number.
5: It's, now's the time, if if, if there's any. Also Buy Sharine's yep. a book of poetry. Oh yeah. um, thanks. Yeah. Book um, of poetry. It's all on Amazon. It. I don't want to support Amazon. So if you want a copy, you can like Venmo yeah. me something and I can send you a PDF. But I'm working on another one right now. Hopefully yeah. I can publish it soon.
1: Hopefully. Anyway. Bye. Thanks
5: again. Bye. Bye.
4: apple
3: podcasts or wherever you get your podcast take good care and we'll see you there hi guys nancy grace here host of podcast crime stories with nancy grace i've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims for a decade i prosecuted violent felonies every day is a mission every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.